Welcome to the very first weekly watch here on Marketside Chats. My name is Corey Callahan, and I'm joined in the studio by Jack Boyd and Hunter Saxton. We also have Tom Kenny and Kyle Copeland with us over the phone, which we're super excited about. We'll be posting these podcasts every Sunday night to give you a better feel of the markets heading into the week. If you don't have the time to listen to the full podcast, check out our article version on our website, citystreetstrat.com. Once again, that's www.citystreetstrat.com. Well, guys, we definitely have a lot to talk about today from a macro sense with this new stimulus coming in. Um, But I'd love to just start everything off with talking about our last weekly watch. Once again, you can find that on our website, www.citystreetstrat.com. We covered a lot of earnings last week. I think we hit most of our predictions, but are there any final notes on some of those companies that we covered? Okay. Well, um, obviously I was a little disappointed with Peloton, but um, I think there was just a lot of hype behind just smashing through their earnings. uh, And you can see that with the run up on the day they released earnings, they went up nine bucks and they plummeted back to their uh, channel that they've been in the $145 range. Um, I still remain very bullish on them. Um, they just, they can't meet up with demand ports, um, are backlogged up, uh, shipping is taking forever to be delivered. Um, and they've invested, I believe a hundred million dollars into buying planes to deliver these products. Uh, although that's going to affect their margin significantly. I remain bullish. Um, and I still probably would think that they're going to have hit their a high of 171 in the next, um, three months, I would say when we get to the beginning of the summer, but. I still remain hot on Peloton. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I think I think for me, um, a couple of the stocks that I covered last week were uh, Exxon Mobil, uh, which actually was up ten percent last week. I think they did really well on their earnings, and um, I think there was talks about fuel cell um, partnering with Exxon Mobil. So uh, that news should be interesting to see in, in the weeks to come. Yeah. Uh, additionally, I saw we were looking at uh, Activision, mm-hmm. uh, which also did 11% last week. Yeah. Um, you, I think, you love I think to our see price, it. Yeah, we love to see it. Our price target, um, it's going to have to be adjusted, I think, a little bit. I had 120 uh, for 12 months. Um, we'll see how uh, the tailwinds treat them and how much um, buying volume comes in. But yeah, I think they got a couple of price upgrades, uh, which is good. And I think that's good for. Um, the gaming industry as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, something I thought about with Activision last week was just, they were just in a very well-timed position to have a good earnings call. And originally I thought it would go from 92 to past 100, maybe trade around there. And, you know, they reported on Thursday, Friday, successfully trading above $100 for the first mm-hmm. time ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it's great. Activision deserves to, you know, improve and really, you know, return value to their their shareholders. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they had such a huge quarter because of the new consoles, the new Call of Duty, and Blizzard, Blizzard dominates the mobile app game with other games like Candy Crush, Hearthstone, and World of Warcraft still has a very, you know, very strong, loyal user base. So it's hard for Activision to really go down against some of these other competitors, I think. 
Yeah, people are gaming more than ever now. Yeah, it's it's insane. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, one of the biggest drivers for Activision was kind of really behind like the, de- the decreasing uh, competition within the industry. I think they're yes. only really facing up against what EA, uh, Take Two. Yep, I like Take one. Two a lot still. I mean, it, I think this just gives them more like the producers more bargaining power as opposed to relying on, you know distribution channels like GameStop or Walmart, Target, right. mm-hmm. And EA has been hit hard in the past couple of years. Uh, a lot of their games, uh, Battlefront and Battlefield have, have received a lot of negative attention. Um, they failed to put forth their plans for releasing maps and just like updates to the games. And it's left a lot of those users being very angry with the company. And I think that could also be a reason behind uh, Activision as well. Yeah. EA also um, announced, uh, they're making the NCAA college football game again yeah. for the first time yes, in like they did. however many years. Yeah. So that's yeah. like a big thing. And I, I know excited, a lot of people yeah. are, are excited and are getting behind that. And I think that'll just, you know, push all of the video game producers nonetheless. Yeah. But I guess huh. what I was really trying to get at was that this like digital distribution model just kind of gives them more, um, more ability to optimize their margins moving forward. Yeah, digital downloads are, are are driving the gaming industry. You know, no one wants to buy a hard copy anymore. You just can sit down your yeah platform and just buy it instantly. It's a lot easier. But uh, kind of going back to the market, I mean, if there's one thing I took, the market is very bullish. Very bullish. Um, I mean, they they announced a stimulus deal, two trillion. Uh, that's an enormous amount to be putting out there, especially with so much money on the sidelines. I mean, you lend out at 2%, 2% interest like retail and the cost of borrowing is essentially net zero. Like people are borrowing, people are, and, and you put 2 trillion in stimulus. That's so much cash. Like you said, it's like shoving a check into mm-hmm. a vending it's machine. Like, it's like shoving a check into a vending machine. Yep. It's ridiculous. It, and you you know what? Like, I, if anything, I learned this week is that you know the the whole situation with GameStop. Like, think about it, and it not even GameStop. Think about you know like the larger context of the entire year. Think about you know what to to what Shamath was saying and about Tesla, and how it was up. You know, it, it kept going up, and the short sellers were just getting knocked out one by one. Someone come back and say, "Okay, this time Tesla's going down for good," and it didn't go down because people kept betting on it, and they had accelerating revenues. It maybe it was coincidental that it happened at the same time. Maybe it wasn't, but I think what that tells you, and then you know, the whole thing that came down with GameStop uh, and how like rigid, uh, that trading period was, I think what it tells you is that, you know, people are going to be, um, scared to short. I think they're scared to short. And if they're scared to short, and then you have this, you know, positive macro catalyst helping the markets out, I think the markets are going to go to all time highs. I totally agree. I mean, I felt, I was a little nervous. I felt like our markets were very inflated heading into all of this. But the fact that we were able to get through this GameStop situation without a major cr- crash, and now we're having the stimulus come in, you know, really the sky's the limit. Yeah, it's like uh, I think I think what's what's at risk now is, you know, the the what what people have learned in this entire pandemic is to hedge the upside, 
Um, because if you don't ha- haven't hedged to the upside, then you will get absolutely smoked in this market in the last, you know, 24, 36 months. But I think yeah. that, um, I mean, I think it just keeps going higher. I think, it, you know, at some point there's going to be some regulatory risk with uh, markets becoming overinflated instead of having an healthy, a healthy correction. So I am hoping for a correction soon. But right now, I mean, this is just bullish. This is bullish, uh, bullish activity, technically. Um, I mean, jobless claims, they they kind of, they, they were a little higher. But, you know, some other indicators came out a little better than expected. Um, you know, non-farm payrolls, I think, came out a little better. Uh, you know, the stimulus package is huge. And I mean, if you really think about it and, if you think about the cost of borrowing, because, you know, interest rates are set to zero, so they're incentivizing people to borrow. You know, if you're a guy with, you know, 10, 50, $100 million, and, you know, you have a house and it's paid off and everything, my first instinct in this pandemic is to go to the bank and say, hey, I want a home equity line of credit on my house. Uh, give it to me in 2% interest, 15 years fixed. And then, like, take, like, 2 million bucks out of the house up front. And just be able to sit on that cash, invest in the stock market, and then pay it off. It, it, there's like so much access to capital, and then they added two trillion in stimulus. Yeah. Like that's how ridiculous. Mm-hmm. There, so there's like already so much money on the sidelines, and so much access to money that's currently in play, based on the current lending practices that exist, and based on the spending bills that already have come out. And ba- it was yeah. three trillion in deficit in 2020, and yeah. now we already have this two trillion. Well, I, I also. Insane. I think you guys also have to think about how hard it is to distribute. Um, yes, there is a lot of access to this, you know, this cash in the market, yeah. but a lot of it's not really like liquid yet, and it's not in the it's not in the hands of people yet, and that's and that's the issue. The issue is, yeah, yeah. But if you think about it, though, like the like savings is up. Like I, I think it has been reflected in the market to some degree. Because like savings is up, you know, consumption is up a little bit, and um, you know, the they continue to roll out uh, these realms of stimulus, increased unemployment benefits, um, and, and I think that's like underlying, like a good thing for um, markets. And I, I I think if you think about it, you know, at a very uh, micro level, and think about you know what is the formula for GDP, what really drives the economy. You think, you know, consumption, investment, um, uh, consumption, investment, government expenditure, and uh, net exports. And the tariffs are probably going to get lifted, so that might fudge the net exports a little bit. But you're getting a huge increase in investment because of how much money is on the sidelines. And you're getting a huge spike in government spending that's going to subsequently cause a subsequent spike in consumption and yeah. it, it, it's, it, it's very cyclical and it, it's just a matter of time of how many more times can they, you know, feed the machine before the machine breaks. You know what I mean? Yep. Think, yeah. Yeah. Do you think the investments, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, do you think this government investment in the American people will, would only benefit the economy as a whole? 10, 15, 20 years down the line. I mean, yeah, they're, they're printing you know, they're oh, I I know that. I, money I, in, in the printer, but yeah, like, from a long-term perspective, I mean, we might get hurt short-term. We might get hurt short-term like from a 
a quick crash or whatever it may be. But like, I feel like the melt up is, is underway right now. Yeah. I mean, I think it is, but you know, based on this inflow of capital, I think the, I think the market goes a little bit higher and I, you know, not that like, not like I, I the the government had to give out the stimulus and and they had to do all these things and I think you know just as a you know positive uh, externality of what's come out of all of this is that the markets are going to be um, insanely overpriced for probably the I think through year end the markets will be up. Yeah, I mean, I think the equity markets are breaking up. I mean, they're clearly breaking out to new highs, but there is a lot of skepticism. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think that's the, actually, so. the skepticism is kind of shifting a little bit. I mean, you have Thomas Lee, uh, a fund strat advisors who used to be the chief of equity research at JP Morgan. And he came out um, and, you know, every year he's usually the guy that calls the uh, calls the where the S&P 500 is going to close within like five points. He's done it like five yeah. times, five points being five dollars. He like accurately predicts where the price is going to go. And he just came out and he was like, you know what, based on what just happened and, you know, the newfound stability in the political system and all this. And he was like, the markets are going to roar. We're taken away. He thought there was going to be immediate short-term correction. And he revised that view based on the the items that that, uh, occurred. And frankly, I agree with it because right where he kind of timed it is where the market bottomed. And now we're kind of approaching new highs. And I have a chart here um, that will be accompanied in our blog at www.citystreetstrat.com where you can see our uh, weekly strategies. Um, So, you know, since March of uh, March 26th of 2020 up to this point, the spy futures have trended upwards pretty significantly um, in a span of, let's see, it, it, it's about, you know, uh, almost a year and it's 95% correlation upward. And they were in, uh, the, you know, the lower bound of the channel that, uh, had been created, but now they're kind of encroaching on the upper channel again. Um, and I can see them very well, maybe clipping, uh, near the 4,300 range very soon. Uh, if they gap up above 4,000, uh, the, yeah. the, the S&P futures, at least the spoos. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, spy to kind of, I think spy is going to go gap up over four is totally possible, but yeah, it could be 430, 440, 450. I think out of the equation. Oh no, I don't think those are out of the equation. Maybe in April it hit four fifty. April or May it might hit four fifty. I think we should talk about what's like really driving this this melt up. Um, I think for one, you have tech, big tech gang. You have semis who have been up. Industrials have been up. Energy Mm -hmm. is obviously. You know, the name of the game uh, since Biden was elected. Mm-hmm. Housing, housing's rebounding. Yeah. Uh, miners or miners. I think, like Jack said, for the most part, there's a lot of liquidity in the system. And, and these mm-hmm. are the industries um, and the sectors that I have been, or that have caught my eye more than anything. Um, for one thing, one company I'm following uh, more heavily than 
than any other right now is Cleveland Clips. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a mining Ooh, company. They're a Take CLF. mining company. CLF based out of um, Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, we, as we can probably tell. But yeah. I think um, from, the, from a technical perspective, Cleveland Clips and United States Steel have been moving in tandem with one another. I, I think I wrote about U.S. Steel uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, looking at them, but United States Steel just offered, um, just announced a forty million uh, share offering, public share offering. Yeah. Um, so they gapped down. I want to say Wednesday or the day after earnings or earnings day, whenever they reported earnings. Do you um, know when the estimated completion is? Uh, I believe late February. Late Feb. Gotcha. Um, so then I started looking at Cleveland Cliffs because for the first time, Cleveland Cliffs wasn't trading side by side with uh, X for yeah. the first time. And I thought this mm. was super bullish. Um, I mean, like steel futures, steel futures are up. Um, hot rolled coil steel prices are up. It's just, yeah. Um, I think if it's a good long term investment and, I'm playing some, I don't know what my position is. Yeah, I think it, you know, I'm looking at the daily chart right now and it looks like it's in uh, um, a pretty nice uh, bullish flag formation. Kind of using the $15 price level as a baseline. You guys see that on your chart, Kyle? Yeah, so the the price level I had was... um, Last week, CLF was trading. I kind of knew uh, by looking at the charts. I kind of knew that CLF wouldn't drop below the fourteen and a half mark, yeah, which was approximately the fifty-day uh, simple moving average at the time. Yeah, I think it was like on Thursday or Friday. Yeah, um, and, I, and I didn't see it dropping below fifteen because it was a psychological support, and I had watched um, the price action just kind of bounce off that level. So I, I thought it was proven to be um, a strong level to pivot off of. Yeah. Um, I, I, I posted earlier that I, I was expecting CLF and, and X to converge in share price around the $16 mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ended up converging around like 16 and a half, 16, six. Um, and, and CLF closed, I think about 10 cents uh, higher than on X on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm really keen on uh, Cleveland Cliff CEO. Um, I think he's, yeah, you guys should, I'll send him a couple clips of, of him on YouTube. Some of his interviews are hilarious. He's, he wants to protect the shareholders. Um, he wants the share price to increase for his company. He's, they just did an acquisition with Acceleror uh, Mital, which is Arcelor another Acceleror Metal. Thank you. Um, and it was like a $104 billion deal or $140 billion deal, yeah. something like that. And Acceleror Metal does like over 10 billion in revenue each year. And I thought it was just a, yeah, a great acquisition company. for them. Yeah. So um, yeah. I didn't see, I didn't see CLF doing like diluting like X did um, after finally gaining some traction. Sure. And it, after I did a little DD and just kind of saw how the, the two management teams differed. Um, but I'm in right now I'm in March 16 calls. Gotcha. March uh 16th or march 16 expiry march or 16 sorry. strike march 19th 16 strike expiry picked up a bunch around 130 
did you play puts on the on X as well to pull back? To no, 16? but I should I I wanted to, but I, I had both of the charts up side by side. Yeah. Um, and I guess in in some in some sense, I was rooting for X to fall, or I knew X was going to fall. I just didn't know where uh, the floor was. I think they did find the floor. A, a lot of people were um, still picking up X. They still think it's a long, you know, a good long term investment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But that's kind of absolutely kind of where my conscience was last week. Yeah. And we got a pretty interesting earnings calendar up this week, right, boys? Yeah. yeah totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Any any so fires? We have big names like Chegg and Twitter. Yeah. Twitter. Those are personally on my watch list. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about Chegg, Tom. Well, I've been keeping up with Chegg for a while. They had pretty solid numbers last quarter. Mm-hmm. Not this quarter, but the quarter before that. Uh, but they had a very, very sharp sell-off after um, post-earnings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that happens. You know, you can't just say all the numbers and everything is great and our expectations were met and we have forward guidance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, investors think otherwise. But I think Chegg is in a very, you know, excellent position right now because we're get, we're just getting through another semester of, all these college kids and all these high schoolers, you know, not being able to go to class really like ever. So how are they going to learn the material without really being able to meet their teacher in person? Well, they got to go through Chegg, you know, Mm -hmm. and whether that's to consult with experts on topics that are just really confusing or just like, honestly, just like getting practice is what I have used Chegg the most for in the past, just extra practice problems and stuff. Yeah. Like that. yeah. What does Chegg report? Uh, uh, I believe they report on Monday or Tuesday. I think Monday. Aftermarket, yeah. Aftermarket close on Monday. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and I think similarly to Activision, they're trading around 99 and they're going to trade above a hundred and, you know, probably sustain that for a while. And then, you know, consolidate and figure out where to go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's I think there's no really dispute that Chegg kind of sits on top of the online educational services platform. Totally. Like, out of all of them, I think I think uh, I read one uh, data point from Chegg's website that said 87% of college students have heard of Chegg. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and or have used Chegg, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and you know, I love the sentiment towards hybrid online education like like we're doing right mm-hmm. yeah yep. and it's just going to expand Chegg's overall adoption but i also uh, i'm not trying to bash Chegg in any way but i also um was reading something that Chegg was uh giving um, institutions information about their students like which if their students were using their services or not yeah it's really interesting so they were telling yeah so it was interesting to uh, I also thought about that, and I think that was one of the reasons why they sold off last earnings quarter was because we transitioned to online learning in the spring, okay? And obviously, that's a hard adjustment. So people were going into their finals, you know, staying up all night, not knowing whether or not they'd pass or not the next day. And then here comes Chegg, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I... I like Chegg. I think it's 
I think they'll sell off after earnings, but um, yeah. What do you guys think of Twitter? Actually, I mean, Twitter looks like a great technical setup. Uh, just looking at the yeah. chart right now. Um, and you know, the only thing I can think of is that, uh, they already had a pretty negative catalyst that might've hindered any, um, you know, expectations of what they were going to do for this quarter. Um, in terms of, uh, I, I guess that, you know, the real play here is, you know, whether you're betting that the, uh, amount of people that were associated with the groups at the Capitol Hill, they actually make a dent in Twitter's revenue stream, which I doubt they do. They dropped from 55 uh, down to about 46, and now they're back at about 56 right now. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think we might, you know, see a little run up into close. You know, historically, Twitter has been pretty horrible, uh, you know, just after an or- uh, earning support. They don't really tend to have good price action. But, you know, right. this could be a unique opportunity and where um, there's already been some negative energy exerted onto Twitter and, uh, you know, it's not priced in like some of the other tech stocks in advertising revenue, com- digital revenue companies um, that are alike. Um, and, you know, it just kind of broke into the upper bound of this channel that I have uh, that will be linked to our uh, website at uh, com. And I, you know, I could see it going to, you know, potentially the $60 region, um, maybe where it meets its next resistance, uh, prior to earnings, I I would say, um, that's just something that I'm seeing. And then if it has a, you know, bullish catalyst on earnings, I I think it could gap up to potentially, you know, 70 or 80, um, I could see that, yeah, and yeah. then maybe sell off a couple of days after. Yeah, and you know, you have like, uh, if you look at it, you have accelerating volumes and bullish trade trends for uh, Twitter as well in the last, yep, um, like you know, week about uh, right after there was that initial selling, and it, it appears that people are you know bullish on Twitter. And you know what I mean, like, like I said before, you know, a lot of people who were short you know tesla you, you they got burned completely short selling that and you got burned completely short selling gamestop and i think people are afraid to short so there's no longer that kind of you know i i almost think of it as a top lever how hard is it to bust through the top yeah and exactly they just opened up the roof it's mm-hmm. like the roof's open it's, yeah. There's no roof anymore. And where are all these conversations happening? Yeah, on I Twitter. Mean, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yep. and all the all the all the uh, short interest on all these stocks has decreased significantly. Because if there's any mm-hmm. lesson that people have and learn or have learned or refused to learn in the beginning of the onset of the pandemic when they were suggesting that you know we were going to be in a you know sustained recession. It ended up being like a V shape, uh, you know, recovery or something of the like, or I think they call it a K shape recovery now. Um, but I mean, you know, whatever that means. Yeah. yeah it, 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 the, but I think the underlying story here is that the, the markets are strong, right? Yeah. It's almost like an invisible hand. Yeah. yeah. Well, not an actual one, but <laughs> the, con- the concept itself. Yeah. Um, for any of our listeners who are unaware, it's kind of the idea that you know news news can kind of pull the market in such a way that people didn't really think was possible at the time. Yeah. But it's really 
And the other, hard concept too. And the other yeah. thing is, is like a lot of these, you know, tech companies that we look to on a day to day basis, like their revenues have been accelerating because of the pandemic. They're mm-hmm. definitely getting like some oh, pandemic totally. tailwind. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but I think in terms of more, uh, you know, like the, the, the industries that have been, you know, kind of bailed out by the government, like cruise lines and uh, airlines and 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 uh, businesses of that Boeing. nature. Yeah, Boeing. <laughs> uh, but like, if you think about it, um, you know, they still operate at one hundred percent capacity, and they got massive bailouts by the government, and they are essentially that. Like, think about how much cash they got to be sitting on. Like, it's not just like, you know, us and individual people that are sitting on a bunch of cash. It's the institutions, too, because in, you know, with a lot of businesses, they the government says, hey, you know, we're the pandemic. And if you're like, um, you know, like a company where like your workers can effectively work from home Mm -hmm. and you're profitable and you're eligible for the PPP loan. And and the government says, hey, we'll give you 20 million bucks for the PPP loan uh, for two years. You're like, yeah, I'd be able to pay my employees anyway, but give me the 20 million bucks at 2%. I'll, I'll put that money to work. It's essentially like a credit line. Mm -hmm. Like they're giving a credit line to businesses that don't necessarily need it. And it's going to create a lot of bullish momentum in this economy uh, for certain segments. That is others. uh, The, I think the, the effect of this is that some segments are going to be decimated. And that's just going to be an underlying consequence of how things are going and the policies that were put forth by Congress and how to, you know, kind of diversify these uh, benefits surrounding the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. That's really excellent point. You you know, some of these, some of these companies just don't need the money at all. Yeah, they don't. I mean, it's, uh, it's like ridiculous. I mean, like that, think about it. Like on airlines, they on airlines they still pack the planes to the full capacity. Um, I guess the only real thing is they don't charge you for change fees anyway. But that was a price gouger, anyways. And they don't even like really serve you food on the plane anymore. And they like their opex on the plane has have to gone gone down a little bit because of the restrictions yeah. that have been in place by the pandemic. Well, but United and American now offer full seating. There is yeah. no gap seating. And, and the anymore. other thing to consider too is a lot of the people that had um, you know reservations booked with these travel agencies uh, for different trips, they didn't just cancel their trip. They just postponed it. Like that isn't a loss of revenue. That's just recognizing the revenue, you know, a couple quarters down on the balance. And that's just going to drive the market more when once the travel, travel industry comes back and like global travel comes back, like it's going to be huge. That's a huge indicator. What we're starting to see here is that, you know, this isn't really a, um, you know, to me, it kind of seems like this might be like the most crazy run up we've ever seen in the market because the expectations have been completely out of line of what reality is. Yeah. And it's kind of based on like what this narrative is put forth by the government policies surrounding COVID restrictions. And it doesn't really take into account, uh, you know, how people are using these restrictions to their advantage in a significant manner. Uh, to help them generate more profits. And obviously that's going to be good for the market. Um, I mean, you'd hope that if the, if this happens, maybe it was intended, you know, the, it's an investment in these companies and they make more money in the long Um, 
but I mean that that that's a that's a pretty significant bet to be making. Um, and yeah, I mean like the PPP access, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like you can get you can like if you run a firm of a hundred employees, you get PPP money. Mm-hmm. You get to pay your employees for two years at two percent interest. Yeah. Yeah, I do that. I'd save all that money. I can reinvest in my business. It's a no brainer. And, you know, a lot of people are taking out, taking money out of their business. They're doing dividend recaps. They're um, trying to, you know, preserve uh, the low interest rate environment while taking advantage of how much their company may have grown. And they want to take it in a salary in some way. So it's happening all over. Um, And I think it's something that's going to continue. And the question is, when is it too much? Yeah. Really never. (laughs) I guess so. I feel like a lot of these major corporations have become so big in this and to the point where like even if some sector of their business has been hurt by the pandemic, um, you know, they have other areas that they've been able to accelerate growth. Um, I know personally I was looking at Uber this week as we kind of run up to their earnings report on the 10th. Um, You know, obviously travel, all that really hurt Uber. Um, People weren't taking rides as much, but then they were able to really accelerate growth through the the Uber Eats app. Um, And I, you know, I think it's kind of a temporary fix, obviously, because there's more people ordering um, through food apps right now than there will really ever be. Um, but they recently just acquired Drizzly, which I think is going to be um, something really important to look at, um, kind of heading, heading into their earnings. Uh, for those who don't know, Drizzly is the most popular um, alcohol ordering app, and uh, they were acquired for just over a billion dollars uh, last week by Uber. Yeah, that narrative also falls in line with Disney. You know, they used to make all their money off their theme parks and their mm-hmm. Disney cruises. Um, but now Disney Plus is their is their business basically. Um, they uh, debuted in November of 2019, and when they debuted, they expected to reach the 90 million subscriber mark by 2024, and they're expected to report around 95 million subscribers on Thursday. So they're smashing that um, assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, and now by 2024, they're expected to have uh, 230, 240 million subscribers. Um, and they're creeping up fast on Netflix. Netflix has just over 200 million subscribers right now. So it'll be interesting to see um, them compete in the market. But um, I think it's driven by um, Star Wars significantly. I think like it, oh, maybe even like half of the subscribers are going there for like shows like The Mandalorian. Um, the Ten new Star Wars series are going to come out in future years, and they're going to be Disney Plus branded. Like you can't get them anywhere else. Like people yeah, are going to go to Disney Plus just to watch the Star Wars content. It's like a fan favorite. Everybody lo- loves Star Wars. Yeah, across, and like, it's being interloped with a lot of other service offerings as well. And consumer products. It's insane. Yeah. Like everybody talks about Baby Yoda. Um, I just think it's disney is i'm really i think, bullish on I think disney. there's a package i think there's a package where you can get like espn plus like yeah. hulu and disney plus all in one for like 14 or 15 dollars yeah, so yeah it's, like, i get it through verizon like, oh, yeah it's revolutionary yeah or you get it for free through verizon through. yeah that's like that's like that's like a no-brainer though like, oh yeah mm-hmm. there's so much more content it just coming has out. its hands and so you know many different aspects of the media landscape and i i think it's definitely going to not overtake Netflix, but be right up there. I think, with it. Oh, it's going like, to go up and said. compete with them. Yeah, for because sure. Disney just really has, 
the content that people were familiar with and love. And like you said, with star Wars, they're still putting it out and you know, it's just really on the up and up. Meanwhile, Netflix is more focusing on Netflix originals, which and, I think and their movies, I think two thirds of the yeah. movies for the Academy Awards or something are mm. like nominated by net for Netflix or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah the Academy Awards some, is very, very political. Yeah. But, um, but that, that, that is saying yeah, something. live action film is just dead right now with production sets, but I think but regardless of all the streaming services, whether it be Netflix, uh, yeah, Amazon Hulu, Prime, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, or yep. even Fubu. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I think they're all going to do well. Yes, they're all going to do yes. really well because the market's just going to get bigger and bigger. So, as a way to wrap up this episode, you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday here in the studio, so we thought we would do a little pick 'em uh, between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it's either going to be Tom Brady solidifying himself as the best athlete of all time or Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski passing on the torch to Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. So uh, who wants to start things off? How about you, Jack? Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a, you know a pretty crazy matchup. You got two of the, you know, one, two of the greatest quarterbacks in the football league currently. Uh, I think if I'm going to put a score on the game, um, I'd probably say, you know, 31-29 uh, or 31-28 bucks. Okay. Uh. All right, Hunter? Yeah, I'm taking bucks 34-31. Uh, Word. Um, Word. I'm going to go bucks as well. Um I think Brady might be able to just kind of ride off into the sunset after this. I'm going to go 27-24 Buccaneers. Sheesh, you guys have a lot of... Yeah. I feel like that's a lot of defense. I'm expecting a little something a little higher. Yeah. Um, I, I want Brady to win. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Yeah. I yeah. got the Chiefs <laughs> pulling the upset. Uh, I got the score 41-37. Okay. okay. Um, and lastly... My pick. So, personally, I am someone who is crazy about the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win this. And the final score should be like 24-31. Yeah. Why do you think that is, Tom? I know you spent a lot of time studying this. Because... We've beaten the Chiefs before on the Patriots with uh, half the team that Tom Brady has right now. Yeah. And honestly, I think Antonio Brown is like going to be the sleeper player this entire game. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really going to shine because we haven't really seen him really, you know, have like a monster game he used to yeah. have when he was playing on the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a big night. Him and Gronk are going to go absolutely insane. I mean, Antonio, I. Uh, he only wanted to play for Brady, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll show. Yeah, <laughs> so funny they tried to trade him to Detroit. Yeah, yeah, that was little little Patricia package. Mm-hmm. No one was able to fix him except for Brady. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, you know, so uh, there's a lot that goes into it off the field. Um, Brady has been able to do that, but 
you know, when it comes down to on the field and making those throws, arm angles, all that, I think Pat Mahomes has an advantage, especially Proven right now, just ex- looking at yeah. their ages. But um, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited. All right. Awesome. It's going to be a great game. Well, big thank you for all of our listeners for uh, tuning in. Hopefully this gave you some good insight heading into this week in the markets. Like all in all, after the stimulus, we're all feeling pretty bullish and you know, we're excited. So once again, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks. And remember, we take the info from the city and bring it to the street. CitystreetStrat.com.